spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. About time for a yearly Halloween tradition. It's episode 338 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and you've probably been watching The Simpsons most, if not all, of your life. And you know that every year there's a new Treehouse of Horror episode right around Halloween, and this year is no different than the 31st Treehouse of Horror episode. So I thought to myself, it'd be a good time to talk about that. We never really talk, we don't talk enough about The Simpsons. That's for sure. So I decided to get showrunner Al Jean on the show this week to talk about this week's episode of Treehouse of Horror from The Simpsons, which you can watch again on Sunday, as you do every Sunday, I'm sure. There's a lot of other stuff going on on the show this week. Got a couple of very interesting comics. We're talking about Warshack that comes out this week. Liam Neeson has a new movie. I'll give you a spoiler-free review of that. And always some very interesting nerd news to discuss but speaking of reviews it's a double review week and we'll start it off with a spoiler free review of hulu's hellstrom series we'll do that next on the down and nerdy podcast hey guys this is carly bennett from agents of shield and you're listening to the down and nerdy podcast something has been unleashed on this world and it is a brand new series from hulu based on some marvel comics characters and yes hellstrom is finally here you can stream it on hulu here's my spoiler free review of the first season. So not going to get into how it ended or anything like that. Not really going to spoil anything. I'm just going to give you my overall thoughts on the series. I mean, it just came out. It'd be, it'd be, you know, not cool of me to go ahead and spoil the thing for you. But here's the deal. In, in case you're unaware of it, Hellstrom follows Victor, excuse me, Anna and Damon Hellstrom. And they are the son and daughter of a serial killer and a very powerful one at that and they've got you know complicated past for obvious reasons i don't even really need to tell you that sentence kind of says it all and this is from the synopsis by the way so there's no spoilers here also a very complicated relationship with their mother too by the way and you know there's something special about damon and anna both and they kind of you know go about their way you know dealing with the worst things that are terrorizing the world that's kind of putting it mildly there there is an overall you know, there, there's a big picture story to this season, as there usually is. In these cases, there's some other complicated issues, too, like with, with another character, Dr. Dr. Louise Hastings, who is a part of this, too. We've also got Gabriella, who is Damon's kind of partner in finding out all of these different phenomena that are affecting people and the, and the world in general. And she actually works for the Vatican, which makes it really, really interesting when you Anytime you tie in anything sort of paranormal with the Vatican, it's going to make for an interesting dynamic on the screen. So those are a couple things that I can tell you, and that's, not, that's really not giving anything away. I will say this. There are some good things about this series. Like, they do have, I mean, the, the, the overall story itself is is interesting. The things that they find and they deal with are also very interesting. It, it makes it makes you want to keep watching it for sure. There's no doubt about that. 
the overall dynamic between the brother and sister duo too is is it's uneasy, but at the same time, you can't turn away sort of thing. But here's the biggest problem with this series, and that is that there char- no no character that's on the side of good anyway is one that there's nobody really likable on this show to root for character-wise. The acting itself is not bad at all. As a matter of fact, Tom Austin's portrayal of Damon Hellstrom, I think, is really good. I think he does a great job in the role. Problem is, is that Damon's a dick. And, I mean, that's... I mean, you, you kind of understand why he is the way he is. And, you know, there's the trope of, you know, the, the hard stance guy who, you know, softens as the show goes on. And, and this show falls into that trope a little bit. And there's other tropes the show falls into as well but that that is a, that's a big one for me. And here's the deal, I'm not saying that every character has to be likable, but you have to have somebody to me anyway. My pin my opinion is you have to have a character that you really want to root for, right? That you really think you know that you like for lack of a better way of putting it quite frankly, but I don't I don't I didn't feel that for Damon or for Anna. I mean, I felt bad for Gabriella as the show was going on for, for obvious reasons, once you watch the show. So I felt bad for her, but I, I didn't necessarily, you know, root for her either. It's just, I, I don't know there. I, I was kept waiting for a character to latch onto on this series. And I just couldn't find it. Although I will say Elizabeth Marvel's Victoria Hellstrom is dynamite. She is so good in that role. And there is, more than one role to it, I can tell you that much right now. There is, There are so many layers to that character, and she is brilliant in that. But the problem is, is that you, you almost, again, it's a trope of you kind of see where it's going. And that, that was the other thing that kind of drove me nuts about this series. I mean, yeah, there were, there were a couple little surprises here and there, but at the same time, it's like I kind of know where I'm going with this, right? And I'm not saying I predicted every little thing, right? I'm not saying that. I'm not arrogant enough to say that. But at the same time, there weren't as many surprises. That I mean, the scares were good. If you're in it for the scares, this I wouldn't necessarily say that Hellstrom is an overly scary series. There's some freaky things that happens. I mean, of course, you're dealing with, you know, things that are not of this world and things, you know, like demons and such and things like that. that again, that can't possibly be a spoiler, right? And, of course, you're dealing with the father that is a serial killer. There's there's plenty of intrigue there, but the scares themselves, I don't think are overly... I, I don't think it's bad. I wouldn't necessarily like watch, let, let your kids watch this, obviously. It's obviously for adults, but at the same time, didn't find it overly scary. And then there's just some moments to me where there are certain characters that are just doing some stupid and weird stuff. It's like, why would you do that? You know, I... And I said that a couple times, especially in the early going with some of the characters like, what are you doing? Why on earth would you do that? And I mean, it kind of gets explained as you go on. And I guess maybe Chris Yen, excuse me, is the one that I'm talking about the most. And you'll know who that character is once you watch the show. But it's like, I kind of shook my head. I'm like, I don't know why. This is happening right now. And again, you you find out, but that doesn't necessarily make it any better 
when you do. But this basically, this series boils down to, are you a fan of Damon Hellstrom or not? Do you like Anna Hellstrom or not? Do you like one or the other? Do you like them both together? Are you just in it to find out how this is going to play out with this most interesting of family dynamics? Do you need to find out what it is that exactly has been unleashed onto the world? And do you, I mean, do you, how frustrated are you by an another unleashed on this world kind of story? I mean, do you feel like that's played out? Do you feel like that's something, you know, that they should have come up with something a little bit more original? I can't say how close it is to the comics because quite frankly, I wasn't, I haven't read many Hellstrom comics, but at the same time, Marvel didn't even want to put their names on this. You know how there's always series like Marvel's Cloak and Dagger, right? That was on free form or, you know, even Marvel's, even the MODOK series that's coming up, the animated one, Marvel put their name on that one. But for some reason, you don't see Marvel's name on this. In the in the episodes that I saw anyway, that I saw early, there was no, you know, pages flipping and the Marvel logo at the beginning or anything like that. This movie, this, excuse me, this series seems like it's been completely set outside of anything to do with Marvel, either the MCU or otherwise. Yes, there are some Easter eggs in this. If you're looking for them, there are some Easter eggs in this series. You'll you'll see them pop up every now and then. There aren't a ton, but, you know, they, they are there if you want to see them. They're not, you know, a huge part of the show. They're just kind of there, but at the same time, they are worked in a little bit. But the, it, right, right away when I find out, and we know we knew this a while ago that Marvel was going to put their name on this series, and you kind of wondered why. And and I'm not saying that that's that this is the reason, but at the same time, I don't know. There's just something about this that didn't quite grab me, and I think it was mostly the character driven stuff. The effects are good. The what Anna and Damon can do, that is, it's very, very interesting. There are some interesting aspects to this story, but there's also a lot of head scratchers and some tropes that are hard to overlook. So I'm about 50-50 on this first season of Hellstrom on Hulu. I'm not sure if it'll get a second season anyway, but I'd be curious to see what you thought when you uh, take a look at this series, especially the first couple of episodes. So I would say definitely Give it a couple episodes, see what you think. And if you're if you're in after two episodes, you'll be happy with the rest of the season. I can tell you that much. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of Hellstrom on Hulu. Up next, how about another review? Again, spoiler-free. We'll talk about Liam Neeson's new movie, Honest Thief, next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Adrian Gray from Sci-Fi's Vagrant Queen, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. If Liam Neeson says he's coming for you, you are pretty much screwed, and that's one of the things that happens in a brand new movie, Honest Thief. You might have seen the trailer down in nerdypodcast.com. If you did, then you know that this follows Liam Neeson's character of Tom Carter, who he basically stole $9 million from banks over the years, never been caught, decides to quit when he falls in love with a woman, Annie, who's played by Kate Walsh. He decides to turn himself in, and you know how that kind of works out. You saw that in the trailer as well. The FBI agents that were supposed to take him in decide that they want to take the money instead. And, you know, the thrilling events that follow sort of come from there. And this is a good cast, by the way. Jai Courtney plays one of the FBI agents alongside Anthony Ramos. You've also got Jeffrey Donovan in there. If you're a Burn Notice fan, you'll recognize him 
right away. Robert Patrick is in this thing. There's some good members of this cast, and you get to see a lot of the main cast. And it's interesting because this is a this is a Liam Neeson character that partially we've seen before. You know, it's it's there's definitely some connections to some of his other characters that you'll see certain traits, I should say. But at the same time, there's a vulnerability to this character of Tom Carter that you don't really see in a lot of other Liam Neeson characters. The, this this character isn't quite as hard-nosed as, his, as some of his other characters in similar movies. Now, I mean, he's still got skills. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he doesn't have skills. What I'm saying is, is that this is a, this is a character that, that has a different perspective, I guess you could say. And you get to learn a lot about his past. And it's not a, like a huge focus of this movie, but you learn something about Tom's past and you, you sort of understand why he's been doing what he's been doing. And and part of it is is kind of heartbreaking. Part of it's refreshingly honest, quite frankly. And that was one of the other things about this character is he's kind of an open book and he's an honest dude. For somebody who's a thief, he's pretty much an honest dude. So I, it's something that you can really, really appreciate it. But I got to tell you, the, the one that really stole the show for me in this movie was not Liam Neeson. It was Kate Walsh. For some reason, this character of Annie, and you can understand why Tom loves her, I, quite frankly. She's, she's got a great personality. You know, she, she's not the helpless woman in the story, even though if you might think she is, and she's not the helpless woman in the story. I think her reactions to Tom are very realistic. In, in in every possible way, and there's just something about her. She's just got a quality that that you know makes you want to. Like I was saying in my my review of Hellstrom a couple minutes ago, she draws you in. She makes you want to root for her. She makes you you know every time she does something you, you know that that's that that's something that's you know like a, a big moment you're like oh yeah there there you go and it's it's exciting because you're you're rooting for this woman and you know almost outside of the fact that she's with Tom Carter in the first place it's almost you know got nothing to do with that and everything to do with she's a strong character all on her own and i thought that, that was a really really interesting thing and i got to tell you Jai Courtney plays the perfect asshole kind of guy that's trying to that's you know that's the cop gone bad sort of thing what a perfect job Jai Courtney does in this role of the guy that continues just continues to cross the line at every turn and the way that he and his partner Anthony Ramos kind of play off of each other in this movie very very interesting and and that is another great part about this movie because the their partnership too makes you constantly wonder what's going to happen as things play out. Now, I will say that there's not quite as much action as you would think in this movie, but when it's there, it's certainly on point. There's a lot of very smart decisions that get made throughout the course of this story too, which and most of them involve Liam Neeson's character of Tom. It's just the the intelligent things that this character does is I I mean you, you almost got a slow clap for it. it's like yes brilliant well done very well done yes and the 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 one weird character to me though that I couldn't quite peg 
was Jeffrey Donovan's character, who also plays one of the FBI agents. He He's a very odd guy. That's the only way I can really describe him. He's just a very odd dude, and, and I can't quite... He just seems very weird throughout the whole movie, and I don't really know how else to describe it. And I'm, I'm not saying at all that Jeffrey Donovan does a bad job, but it's like every time you see this character, you're going, what what am, what am I looking at? What what is What exactly is going on here. So the only time things really felt off were when were scenes that involved him until a key moment in the movie. And he sort of starts to turn into, you know, he goes into cop mode, I guess for lack of a better way of putting in that kind of draws him out. Now he, he's got some stuff going on in his life and that could, you know, attribute to some of the oddness, but I just thought some of the scenes that, he was in seemed kind of random, and the kind of scenes where you'd think they'd be cut from the movie, and you get them on the on the on the extras, and you don't really. So yeah, I'm just saying it was very he was very weird, but you know that's okay. That kind of thing happens sometimes, quite frankly. But again, this movie there there were a lot of smart choices in it. It's a great you know, just like a B movie action thriller type thing is it like as good as some of Liam Neeson's other movies no but I got to tell you there's a lot of good character work here the story's interesting there's a lot of I think true to life stuff quite frankly that happens in this movie as well and there's a lot of good things about this that would make you I mean this is a movie that you know however you want to see it whenever you want to see it is definitely worth your time from open road films and Briarcliff Entertainment, Honest Thief, starring Liam Neeson, Kate Walsh, Jai Courtney, and a host of others, is available now in a theater near you, should you have one open, and should you want to go to the theaters. Of course, video on demand will be an option at some point as well. It's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of Honest Thief, starring Liam Neeson. Up next, going to be talking to Al Jean, showrunner for The Simpsons, about the big Treehouse of Horror episode that's coming up this weekend. That's next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Ryan McPartland from LA's Finest, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. So it's a Halloween tradition. I know in my house, and I'm sure about houses across the world, the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror 31 is going to happen Sunday, October the 18th at 8 o'clock, of course, on Fox. And I thought to myself, who better to talk about the Simpsons, Treehouse in general, then the showrunner for the show has been a part of the show for a long, long time. It's Al Jean. Al, pleasure to talk to you. How you doing? Excited and uh, can't wait for Halloween. Yeah, you and, and me both. Day. You and me both, my <laughs> friend. So, I mean, let's talk about the show for a second. I mean, it's entering its 32nd season. You've been a part of nearly 700 episodes of this show yourself and movies and specials and other things. Most shows don't get a third of that success, Al. So how have you all been able to maintain such a high standard for so long? Well, it helps to be animated because you look at the longevity of shows like us and South Park and Family Guy. But I would also say the work ethic of everyone in the show, writers, directors, uh, everyone in the show is just so high. You know you're doing something special with The Simpsons. You know it's going to be seen for a long time. So you really, really want to make it good. And I think this year's Treehouse is going to be remembered among the best. So, Al, this is the 31st Treehouse of Horror. Of course, Halloween happens on October 31st, so I know you guys are pulling out all the stops for this one. How much planning actually goes into just one Treehouse episode every year? There is so much, and we have a CGI uh, Pixar parody in this one 
that is, you know, one of the most elaborate segments we've ever done. The other two are into the Homerverse and a time loop sort of parody of uh, Edge of Tomorrow and Messing Doll, a Russian doll. And um, we, uh, we we worked so hard on the scripts and then the animators, uh, headed by director Tim Bailey, just, or not Tim Bailey for the show, uh, the animators knocked themselves out. I actually wanted to ask you about the parodies that you're going to be doing this year for the episode. You mentioned quite a few of them there. So how do you all kind of decide which stories that you'd like to give your own Simpsons Treehouse of Horror treatment to? I've always wanted to do a Toy Story. I mean, it's just, you know, Pixar is the gold standard in animation. So you get two for one. You get to, you know, do a great animated parody. And and you also get to, you know, sort of hop on the back of something that, you know, is the greatest. So it, it looks great and it's also funny. So does being with Disney give you a little bit more freedom in that regard? Because you can literally just basically go to their door and be like, hey, can we do this now? To be honest, you know, we started these when we were sort of not part of Disney officially. So th- there hasn't really been any difference. When we you know, became part of Disney, certainly, you know, they didn't have to worry that we'd get sued by Pixar or sued by Marvel. Sure, sure. <laughs> there's that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a big plus. But in terms of what they let us do or what we do or the you know tone we have, it's been the same. So there's actually been so many great Treehouse of Horror moments over the years. I mean, Kang and Kodos as president, the evil Krusty Doll's been one of my favorites for many, many years. There's a ton more. Do you have a favorite or two over the last three decades that you can share? Yes, I do. And I, they're, they're more recent ones. I mean, I love the original ones, but I loved... The Charlie Brown uh, satire that was in Treehouse 19. Yes. I thought that that was, you know, it used to be really hard to clear the music, honestly. And um, the Vinciralde music, I mean, we were able to clear it. So I thought that really, you know, gave it a step up. And then um, I love the uh, Kubrick parody that we did in Treehouse 25. Or after we did it, you know, we were satirizing all his work. We heard that he was a huge Simpsons fan, which I never knew when he was alive, that he would get tapes of Simpsons and Seinfeld to watch in England. And I'm like, oh, if only we'd known we could have tried to get him on the show. That would have been, I mean, he's he's the best, you know, one of the greatest top three directors that ever lived. No doubt about it. Now, did you guys know from the very beginning that this was going to kind of be an annual thing? Or was it like a fan response type thing or just a, wow, these episodes do really well. Maybe we should just do this every year. Well, it was partly the response. And then the other thing was, ironically, after we did Treehouse 3 in season four, which I worked on, you know, I was like, oh, I don't know if we'll be able to do these every year. They're so strenuous. And, this, and of course, it's <laughs> literally 30 years later, still doing them. And, and I, I think that, you know, again, you get twofers. You, you get these great plots, and you also just get this knockout animation. And, you know, Halloween is, is my favorite holiday because, you know, there's no pressure on you. There's no, you know, person saying, oh, you ruined Halloween. You know, <laughs> it's like it's, it's the holiday that's right, cool. Right, right. I can give you the name of the director of this year's is Steve Moore. I was thinking ahead to a year. From now. So oh, Steve very Moore nice, director. Very nice. Yeah. And it was written by Julia Prescott. Is it the kind of the love of Halloween that you have and other people that have been working on the show that have made this so successful and made you guys dive into so many different stories? Yes. It, it, it's, it's a few things. You know, there, there are literally, you know, trends that I can see that have occurred in the 30 years we've been on. Halloween has definitely just become bigger and bigger uh, as a holiday, as other holidays, uh, you know, like Columbus Day. Right, exactly. (laughs) And uh, Halloween is definitely the big October holiday. And and like I say, it's, I think, a place where people 
can express themselves and be creative and, and everyone's funny and everyone's got a great cool idea for Halloween. So that's part of it. And, you know, and then again, it's like the tradition, everybody, you know, when like Steve or any director gets to do the treehouse, they go, I have a lot to live up to. So I'm going to work as hard as I can. No doubt about it. I'll tell you what scares me though, Al, is how many times you guys have kind of actually predicted the future for lack of a better way of putting it on the show. Are you guys kind of surprised how many things you've actually that have made it into episodes actually ended up happening in real life later on? Yes. And what's even weirder is there are things that people don't know that we're in an episode and it came back and it predicted something, but we cut it because it, you know, then suddenly had a different meaning. There are even more predictions that we made that came through. Oh, so you guys have already, you've done this before and now we just don't know that. That freaks me out even more, Al. Yes, and I, and I got to say, I hope the prediction in our opening election segment does not come true. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till you guys see that, by the way. It's, it's pretty hilarious. It's so simple, too. Is, it, is that kind of part of it, too? It's like you, you, can do, you do all these elaborate things on Treehouse uh, quite a bit, but then there's some of them that's it's like it's so simple, but there's a brilliance in that simplicity as well. Well, what I have to say, you know, because we're uh, animated along ahead of time, the vast majority of that segment that opens the show was written a year ago. And it's uncanny to me how much of it is accurate. Uh, you know, it now looks, Oh, it's pretty timely, but I go, it, it, we really, you know, the only thing that changed is six months in, we put masks on everybody, but Homer, right. uh, and that was it. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Now, you've had many opportunities over the years, out to, to talk to fans and interact with them at various events and even on social media at this point. What's the one scene that fans have talked to you the most about from a past episode? Well, the one scene I've worked on, there are many that people love, like steamed hams and Homer going the hedges. I, I was the one who edited uh, Cape Fear and put in nine steps on the rake by Sideshow Bob. And so oh, I get asked yes. about that a lot. I get asked about the meaning of nine and I go, cause eight wasn't long enough to make the show fill up. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, there, there's a lot of talk about it. And, uh, I'd say, uh, 99% perspiration behind that joke. I love it. I love it. Now it's been a challenging year for, for everybody and the corona coronavirus has certainly kind of forced us all there, to do things differently. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, Sorry. no doubt about it. So what kind of challenges have you all faced in trying to put this new season together with everything that's going on? Well, it's funny because I, I, I you're just talking about it with somebody else works in the show, and uh, the only word I can use it is, is with all sincerity, blessed. I mean, Jim Brooks, the first week of March, said we should consider going online because we heard Chase Bank was doing it in other companies at that point. Fox had Zoom ready, and we didn't miss a day. I don't mean a single day. You know, we got right into Zoom. We got right into working remotely, and um, now it's been over 30 weeks. You know, the, the, the sound uh, engineers on the show and, and the crew have done an outstanding job. I, I don't notice any difference. We've already had episodes that were recorded remotely, and nobody has said anything about the sound being different. The animation has been fantastic. Uh, if you look at the first four shows that have aired this year, I think each one of them is a gem animation-wise, and, um, you know, especially the Treehouse, which we're talking about. I'm just thrilled that we're able to do the same thing, you know, in this time, which is so tough on so many people, and I never lose sight of that. That's incredible. That's incredible that you guys have been able to do that. Now, while y'all have ta- tackled some great topics, topics, especially on Treehouse of Horror over the years, and you've had a lot of guests there as well, how much do you still feel like you have on your to-do list? I always say as long as the families in the, in the U.S. have problems, then the Simpsons will have stories. There you go. Uh, I don't see the, the world running out of problems, unfortunately. 
because I would prefer to be out of a job and have everything be perfect. But that that's sort of the way I look at it. And it is so gratifying, you know, to have some thought about the way things are going and to be able to express yourself in a show. I, I you know, I can't tell you how grateful all the writers are for that. So I got to ask you, I know how much you love Halloween. You've been very clear about that and as much as my family loves Halloween yeah. as well. Best Simpsons cosplay or Halloween costume that you've ever seen. Do you remember it? That, I'll say the one that really, the funny story, we were promoting the Simpsons movie, Matt Groening and me, in the Netherlands, and they had, you know, people in the Netherlands are very tall. So these six-foot women dressed as Marge with hair that went, you know, two feet higher. And then Matt turns to me and goes, you know, that's based on my mother. <laughs> it was really funny. Wow. Wow. Well, that's something that pe- people probably didn't know about the show before today. That's 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 really well, funny. Well, Marge, Marge was his mother's name. Marriage was his mother's name. Homer that, was his father's name. Although I should say, you know, his parents were not Homer and Marge as we know them. Especially his dad is, you know, <laughs> there's no Homer. He was a very smart guy. Oh, Homer's a one-of-a-kind individual. We know that, Al. Don't yeah. worry. All right, so before I let you go, there's been a lot of Simpsons merchandise over the years. I have, I still have some stuff that I've collected over the years myself. So what's the strangest thing that you've either seen or that you actually own from the show? Well, my favorite uh, merchandise is from uh, Treehouse uh, 13. It's the Island of Dr. Hibbert playset. But the strangest thing was when we were in Barcelona, my wife discovered Bart Simpson rolling papers, which we bought but never used. So I was surprised to see that. Wow. They <laughs> I mean, the, the, the joke is, is that they'll put the image on anything, but I got to tell you, I didn't see that one coming. Uh, neither did they beat. <laughs> but they think this. That's amazing. That's amazing. Wait till you guys see everything that's happening this year on Simpsons Treehouse of Horror number 31. It's going to air Sunday, October the 18th at 8 p.m. on Fox. And it's just such an amazing pleasure to talk to a guy like this. It's Al Jean. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Thank you again. I want to thank director Steve Moore of this episode. Could not have done a better job. This is writer and artist Jason Howard, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Nothing like thumbing through the pages of something new. It's time for what we're reading and a Watchmen character getting his own series with a very interesting creative team. It's Warshock number one from DC's Black Label. Tom King writing this one. Jorge Fornes on the right, excuse me, on the art there. Dave Stewart doing the colors as well. This one is actually really interesting, and there's going to be some spoilers involved here, so just keep that in mind since the book's already been out for a few days. It actually follows an investigation of someone in a Warshak mask and a woman who who is also with a woman and tried to assassinate a candidate for president. The problem is is that the mask is mass-produced, There's no and there's no irrefutable evidence going on here. Obviously, these two were part of some sort of plot, but it doesn't seem like it sort of ends with them. That's the sense you get. There's actually more questions than answers that start to pop up as this investigation goes on. You actually get to meet the investigators. It seems like it's it's almost like the classic, you know, it seems like some people want this to be open and shut. And then you got like the one guy that's like, there's something more here and like won't stop looking into it. Well, that's kind of what we've got going on here. We got one guy that simply just doesn't want to stop looking into it. And it almost seems like there's, there's some other people in the investigation. Like they don't want to be bothered. It's like, yeah, this is, these masks are mass produced. Who knows how we're going to be able to find who's actually part of this thing. You know, the, the, they've actually identified the woman, but they don't know 
who the guy is. But the, there are hints in this book, too, that there's certainly way more going on here than meets the eye. Also, a wink and a nod to the, to the, to the Watchmen TV series as well from HBO. So I thought that that was pretty neat. And quite frankly, this book gives you a, a different feel. It, gives you, it certainly gives you a feel like this takes place in the past, right? You almost don't really know what kind of a timeline you're dealing with here because it seems like there's some modern elements, elements, but there's also some throwback elements in here as well. So it's it's it definitely keeps you a little bit off balance. But there's a there's a just a basic intrigue here of you. We kind of know as readers that there is more to this story than meets the eye, and it feels like it's going to be a nice slow burn of an investigation too, which I think is really really neat. And they actually make reference. To the original Warshack, who, you know, they said, oh, well, his mask could do cool stuff. And this is just a regular one that you could buy at like a costume shop. So there's got to be something else coming here. And you just have to decide whether you're willing to wait for that or not. Again, I, I love the aesthetics of this book. I think Jorge Fornes does a great job in crafting everything together. And I mean, in Tom King, I trust. So I'll definitely be sticking around for more issues of Warshack. Also, another beloved property, this time coming from Marvel, Warhammer 40,000 is getting in, is getting comics in Marvel. You've, you knew that for a while now, but we're going to go with Marnas Calgar, number one, from Marvel. And Kieran Gillen on the writing here. Jason Burroughs on the art. Tava Tartaglia on the colors. And VCs Clayton Cowles on the letters. And basically, this follows the story of Marnas Calgar. And there's a little bit of backstory that's in here, but there's also, you know, plenty of blowing heretics to smithereens and things like that. And just watching this hard-nosed, I mean, leader for the lack of better way way of, you know, putting it, Marnas Kalgar, trying to hunt down and find out, you know, kind of bring an end to this million world, this 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 war that's been going on, this constant war over these million worlds. So, but the backstory is the key here because the backstory is actually what brings us to the end of this book. So maybe a few spoilers here as well. We get to see Marnas as a boy and he was kind of, you know, he had like the privilege tag on him almost, right? Like you don't belong in this training for these young warriors sort of thing. And then they sort of go off world and they've barely been trained at all, but they go off world and they encounter this big, ugly monster, man. Now I'm not a huge, I don't play a lot of the Warhammer games, but the the book looked intriguing to me. So I decided to pick it up. If you know what the name of the monster is that they encountered, good for you. I don't know the exact name. All I do know is, is that there's sort of a callback to that at the end of this first issue. Now what that means going forward We'll have to wait and see because there's obviously a huge gap between Marnaeus in the present and in the past that was presented in this book. But I mean, there's a there's a lot of action here. If I mean, if you're in it for the action, you're gonna get a lot of that. I mean, if fans of the game, you know, maybe this isn't necessarily tailored to you. I think this is very new reader friendly. You can kind of jump in. And not really be lost here because it's pretty basic as to what is going on for the most part. The character designs are really, really cool. We even get some maps 
thrown in here as well, which I thought was really, really neat. So for anybody that's new, you know, you kind of get an idea of what's going on and where. So I did kind of love that they threw that in there. But, you know, there's also some elements in here that I'll admit that I probably didn't appreciate as much because I wasn't, you know, a huge player and, and fan of the game. So I certainly understand that maybe I can't rate this fairly. But you could also say, you know, this isn't necessarily just for people who play Warhammer 40,000. This is also for people who just think, hey, this looks like a cool book, and I'm going to go ahead and pick this up. You're never going to pigeonhole yourself and say, I'm making a comic for people, for only for people who like to play this game. That's just not how Marvel operates. So I think that it's an, you know, there's, like I said, it's a very basic story. You clearly know where things are going. And action-wise alone, I'm gonna st- I'll at least stick around for the next issue to see how what happens in the end of this first issue sort of carries forward into the second and how Marnaeus reacts to this whole thing. And maybe we get a little bit more details, especially for new readers. So I'll stick around and see where this thing is going. But I mean, plot-wise, pretty simple. Not sure that it's you know just the action is worth sticking around for. We'll have to wait and see. That's going to do it for what we're reading up next. Not a lot of nerd news, but we'll tackle the biggest stories up next. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is writer Stephanie Phillips, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. No time but the present to look towards the future. It's time for nerd news. Before I get to DC Comics future, I just want to let you know, yes, I am aware of the reports that are out there saying Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, rumor killer, not going to be cast in Spider-Man 3 as a follow-up to last week's story. I saw that. Nothing's been confirmed or anything like that yet, so not going to really dive into that. Also not going to dive into the story that Tatiana Maslany has kind of, kind of you know, walked back and denied that she's been cast as She-Hulk for the Disney Plus series. So there's a lot of rumors out there. Look for updates on our social media pages and down in nerdypodcast.com. Something that has been confirmed, and this has kind of been going back and forth after everything that happened with Dan DiDio, and, you know, is 5G still going to be happening, and all this other stuff? Well, DC has finally announced what they're going to be doing starting in January, and it's going to be a big two-month event called DC Future State, and it is a line-wide event. New heroes, new supervillains, but also classic heroes and villains in different roles in this future state. And DC describes it as DC's great world's greatest heroes and fresh new roles with, with all new characters taking up their iconic mantles, like Luke Fox being Batman, for example. That is one thing that it looks like we will see. But I'll tell you one thing that I saw more than anything else before, and I'm not going to dive into absolutely every book, or anything like that. I'll try and put up a, a full list at down in nerdypodcast.com for you to go look at. And some of these character designs for these newer characters are pretty awesome. Like for the Flash, I love the design for the Flash. I really, really do dig the bat suit for the John Ridley book that's going to be coming up. I, I think that that's very cool. I think what they did with Wonder Woman was pretty neat as well. But here's the deal it's going to be a two month line-wide event. I'll talk about the the creative teams here too in just a second. And come March of 2021, the regular DC lineup actually resumes and it will continue existing storylines from 2020. So what we're going to get here is we're going to get some monthlies. We're going to get twice monthly oversized anthologies. We're also going to get some scheduled miniseries and one-shots 
out of this deal. Now, what we're talking about is we're talking about Future State, the next Batman, Future State, Dark Detective. We're also going to have Future State, Superman of Metropolis, Superman Worlds, and things like that. Immortal Wonder Woman is going to be a part of this as well. You're going to have some Aquaman stuff here, some Flash. There's going to be a House of L book that's going to be a part of this. Yes, there will be Justice League. Yes, there will be Green Lantern, Suicide Squad, Harley Quinn, Teen Titans, Swamp Thing, Shazam, a whole bunch of your favorite characters, and yes, in a reimagined sort of way. Here's one thing that intrigues me the most about this, is that, yeah, there are some familiar names that are part of books like this, like Brian Michael Bendis. You obviously know who Brian Michael Bendis is. Joshua Williamson going to be involved in this. Mariko Tamaki, Joel Jones. But what you're also getting is some fresh creative talents like John Ridley, who, of course, is no stranger to comics, but certainly hasn't written a ton in the way of, you know, big name heroes. So we've been waiting for John Ridley to do that for a while. We're going to get that. Brandon Vietti, who, of course, worked on Young Justice, the animated series, is going to hop over to the comic side to do some stuff here. Our buddy Brandon Easton going to be writing some of this as well, along with Philip Kennedy Johnson, who I, you know, I've loved his work for a long time. Stephanie Phillips going to be a part of this as well. She's been on the show in the past. So a lot of new names tackling these big, big titles. And I think that that is a really, really neat thing that that's going to be going on for, for DC and Future State. That might be the most exciting thing about this is that we're getting fresh takes like Vita Ayala writing Batgirls. I think it's going to be a super Super neat book. You've got Mariko Tamaki and Dan Mora on Dark Detective. I think that that's going to be really, really neat. Ram V is going to be doing a couple things. Stephanie Phillips tackling Harley Quinn. Nicholas Scott drawing a Nightwing title is like, I mean, how do you even describe that? You've got Brandon Easton writing Mr. Miracle. Sean Lewis is going to take on Superman of Metropolis. We're going to get Philip Kennedy Johnson writing a Superman book. As well, I mean, you just keep going down the list. Joel Jones on Wonder Woman? I mean, come on, seriously. There's a lot of good talent here, good, fresh talent that you might not know. and But, you know, get ready to know them really quickly. Now, I know what you're thinking. First of all, this really feels like Future's End. And I understand that, the, the, the big arc that they had from a few years ago. And remember, as far as I was concerned, Future's End started out well. And it really started to trail off about a quarter of the way through. That's when they sort of lost me on Future's End. But this one's not going to be going on as long as Future's End. I also I also hear what you're saying about, you know, this kind of feels like when Marvel tried to do all new, all different. Well, you could maybe say that, but you've also got the classic heroes aren't gone. Not all of them anyway. They're not. They haven't disappeared, right? They're not all gone. I mean, we do have, you know, a spoiler alert from the press release. Batman's been killed, right? So there's that. And is that necessarily a, a bad thing for the storyline going forward? I don't think so. I mean, you got Clark Kent being rejected by Earth as far as the Superman story. So you get John taking up the mantle, which, I mean, who else could take up the mantle, right? There's a whole bunch of different angles here. And it seems like they're trying to make it make sense. But at the same time, I, I understand if you're a DC fan, you're like, okay, I've I've heard about this whole changing things up before, and it's just I'm just not interested anymore because I just don't think 
it's going to stick. And I think that that's a, that's a fair criticism, quite frankly. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. You're like, you've seen this before, right? You've seen that they're going to, that, that they're going to, there's going to be changes. Things are going to be fresh and different. And then it just doesn't happen. Well, they kind of are coming out and saying that this is a two month thing. And then we're going to go back to the stories that we did before. So basically to me, what this feels like is it feels like a free trial. You know, like when you sign up for a streaming service or something like that, and they say, okay, well, we'll give you 30 days for free, but then after that, you need to decide if you're going to pay or not. To me, this is a two-month trial period by DC to see what sticks and what doesn't, because the last thing you want to do is make the mistake that, quite frankly, Marvel did, and just kind of give us all new everything and then people are like, no, I mean, I kind of like this, I kind of like this, but I hate everything else. That's the risk that you run. Obviously, DC wants you to fall in love with all these characters and all these stories, but you know what? That's just not realistic. And some of the stuff's going to sell better than others, right? But DC knows that. DC knows that not all of this stuff is going to stick and be super popular, but what they can do is find out what you're digging and what you're not and at the end of those two months, if there's something that people are clamoring for, you can bet they're going to bring it back. They're not just going to throw it away and trash it after two after two months just because they felt like doing this for a short period of time. If some of these characters catch on, like look how Harley Quinn caught on. How many times have I talked to somebody that has worked on Harley Quinn or created the character and they've said, we had no idea that this character was going to take off the way they did, but once she did, they... You know, DC took the ball and they ran with it. Same thing with the Batman who laughs. You know, that could have ended a lot sooner than it did, but they took the ball and they ran with it. There's just characters like that where this sort of thing happens. So if one or two or several of them happen to catch on, I'm not saying that it'll be a permanent change to the line or anything like that, but you will certainly see these stories pop up again. Don't think that you won't because, again, this is the ultimate trial period for DC. So instead of doing 5G and doing absolutely everything different, you're going to do this and see what comes up. So, I mean, I'm half hesitant, half really excited for this, and we'll have to see what side of the fence that I fall on come January and February when these things are out. Yeah, I'll have reviews of these all over the place. Don't you worry about that. DC did announce something that's going to be happening that's got fans really excited, and that is, of course, we've known for a while now about the Green Lantern series that's going to be coming to HBO Max, right? We don't know. We still don't know when. Just keep that in mind. We still don't know when this thing's coming to HBO Max. But what we do know now are the Lanterns that will be a part of this thing. This news first broke from The Hollywood Reporter right around New York Comic Con, and a lot of them are going to be Earth-based. We'll get Guy Gardner, we'll get Jessica Cruz, we'll get Simon Baz, and Alan Scott. And to me, that one's interesting. It's like, okay, you've got all these modern-age Green Lanterns and then Alan Scott. So that's an interesting addition to the cast. I'm really curious to see how Alan Scott factors into this thing. Kilowog's going to be here as well, and Sinestro will be a part of this. Now, I'm assuming Sinestro will be the villain of this series, but, you know, I can't really know for sure. Before I get to who's not in it, I can tell you it's also going to be 10 hour-long episodes. Seth Graham Smith, going to be the showrunner, going to write the premiere episode with Mark Guggenheim. And yeah, Berlanta Productions, part of this, it's going to film in Vancouver and all these other different things. You've got names like Jeff Johns and Sarah Schechter that are going to be a part 
of this as well, Dave Madden. So if you want to know tone-wise what we could expect, this could be very Arrowverse-esque, right? I'm not saying that this series is going to be set in the Arrowverse simply because Berlanti Productions is involved. I'm just saying tone-wise this might be something that you can expect. Plus, they've been teasing Hal Jordan on in the Arrowverse forever. But there is no Hal Jordan in this series. No John Stewart, no Kyle Rayner. So to me, I look at this and I go, those are probably going to be our lanterns that get saved for the big screen. That's what we're going to see in the Green Lantern Corps movie. And these are the lanterns that we're going to see in the series. Now, these aren't low-rent lanterns either, by the way. I can't wait for a live-action Jessica Cruz. I hope we actually get the backstory for Jessica Cruz factored in because I think there's so much powerful imagery there with that. It's one of the best-built backstories that they've had for a lantern character in the history of uh, of the character, quite frankly. And I don't think that's too heavy-handed. Plus, we know Guy Gardner is going to be entertaining. Simon Baz, always entertaining as well. So, I mean, you get the best of both worlds. You get a nice group of lanterns in the in the live-action series that's going to be coming to HBO Max. But then you also get, I'm assuming, a really powerful group of lanterns for the Green Lantern Corps movie as well. So we'll have to see how that shakes loose whenever they fi- and when they do finally decide to announce a release date for that, I'll let you know. Really quickly, let's dive into a few trailers that were released right around the time of New York Comic Con or after, quite frankly. You've got the Monster Hunter trailer for the Monster Hunter movie that's going to be coming on on December the 30th, in theory. Who knows if that's going to be delayed again. And did you see the reaction to it on social media and the comments on the YouTube video and stuff like that? Monster Hunter fans are not pleased. Like, this is not what Monster Hunter looks like. Well, quite frankly, Sony's already got your money. And I, I, you know that I know that that's going to make you mad, but they've already got your money from the games anyway, right? And they also know. Have you do you not know what Transformers movie syndrome is? You're going to go see this anyway, just so you can complain about it. People have been doing that for Transformers movies for years now. This is not a new thing. They know this, and the, you know, of course, Transformers not a Sony property. They know you're going to see this movie whether you think it looks good or not. You're not going to skip it. So, I mean, either way, they're going to get your money, right? But quite frankly, there's this is not rocket science. This is not a deep plot thing. You don't want to overthink something like this, right? This is Mila Jovovich with a group of elite soldiers fighting giant monsters in the desert that may or may not be from another dimension or something like that. That's what we're dealing with here. And no, I, I, I will freely admit, not a big player of the Monster Hunter games. And I was intrigued by the movie. But you know what? There's going to be plenty of people that have never played a solitary second of Monster Hunter that are going to go see this movie because it looks neat and you know it. And how is that a bad thing, right? So you're going to go see it. Maybe you get the movie you really wanted. Maybe you don't. Your life doesn't really change one way or the other. If that's the case. Plus, I mean, getting to see Mila Jovovich doing doing her thing on screen with Tony Jaa and a, and, and, and a very interesting cast. I don't see how there's really anything wrong with that. I mean, you go for the action, stay for the monsters sort of thing as far as I'm concerned. So we'll have to see how that shakes out. A couple of interesting things coming to Amazon and IMDb TV, too, by the way, if you're not familiar 
with them. This one perfect for Halloween, I think. It's Truth Seekers. It's basically an Amazon original series. And it's a comedy drama, so you see that there's, you know, there's certainly some scares in there, but there's certainly some funny moments as well. And it's about a team of part-time paranormal investigators who kind of team up to uncover and film ghost sightings across the UK. Problem is, they sort of stumble across something that could lead to Armageddon for the whole human race, and they know that they've got something, and they just need to dig deeper. And you've got Nick Frost here as Gus. You've got Simon Pegg as Dave. And if you haven't seen the look of Simon Pegg in this yet, you, you got to go to downandnerdypodcast.com and watch the trailer because Simon Pegg looks pretty different. Very different indeed in this show. But, I mean, sure, there's some funny moments. There's some interesting scares. There, It seems like the story goes somewhere that's pretty neat. So, I mean, I'm, I'm up for this. I don't know if you're up for this, but I'm certainly up for this. And I think that it's going to be... I, I just think that th- this one has a chance to be funny, but also really interesting at the same time. And that one going to be coming out right before Halloween, actually the same day as another very popular series that will be on Disney+. And, of course, that's Mandalorian. But, yeah, that's exactly what we're getting on October the 30th. So it looks like you're going to have a busy weekend that weekend. It's a good thing that Halloween is on a Saturday that week. So here's the deal. Here's another one. This one coming to IMDb TV on November the 13th. And it's a show called Alex Rider. And, yes, it is based on the best-selling novel phenomenon from Anthony Horowitz. I mean, 20 million copies of this thing. You're going to be looking forward to this. It's basically, you know, follows the character of Alex Ryder. He's a London-based teenager. He's kind of been trained since childhood to be a, a spy, for lack of a better way of putting it. And you, you see right in the beginning of this trailer that the kid's got skills. You just look at the trailer. But, you know, there you, again, you see from the trailer that, you know, his uncle's died under some sort of mysterious circumstances. And now he has to figure out who his uncle really was, first of all. And second of all, who it was that was responsible for his death. And if you look at this, there's so much different, there's so many different settings for this. I mean, if you, any form of action and, you know, espionage that you would want from a series or a movie, quite frankly, you're getting it in this Alex Ryder series. You really, really are. And, I, and in watching this trailer, I mean, you think, okay, yeah, it's just a bunch of teenagers and their problems, I'm not sure I'm up for that. And I'm going to tell you right now, just by looking at the trailer, it doesn't look like that at all. This looks like it could be a legit spy series that just happens to involve some younger characters. I think it looks neat. I can't wait to check it out on November the 13th on IMDb TV. That is Alex Ryder. Really quickly, you want to speak it? You want Again, this is another one. Don't overthink it, right? Don't overthink it. It's the movie Jiu-Jitsu and the first trailer for that actually dropped on IGN first. IGN also had the Monster Hunter trailer first as well. This thing coming out on November the 20th, and it is basically about a elite group of martial artists that are tasked to fight an alien that comes down every so often to Earth, and it's almost like a Mortal Kombat situation, right? This alien comes, as Nicolas Cage says in the trailer, looking for a fight, and as long as he gets one and it's an honorable battle... And people just, you know, die with honor. He won't have to kill anybody else. But if you don't fight him, he's going to go ahead and kill pretty much everyone. That's exactly what's going to happen. So 
you, you've got Tony Jaw involved in this one as well. You've got Nicolas Cage. You've got Frank Gorillo is going to be a part of this. Ellen Moussi is going to be a part of this as well. I mean, th- these are very accomplished martial artists anyway. And they're going to be acting not just as, and these are, you know, some very famous stunt people as well, are going to be in front of the camera in this movie. And, and quite frankly, you look at the martial arts in this movie, you don't get martial arts crossing with sci-fi very often. Not not well done anyway, but this one looks pretty freaking well done. And again, don't overthink the whole thing. Don't try and pick it apart. Just sit back and enjoy Nicolas Cage being crazy and a bunch of very cool martial arts sequences. And hey, the character design for the alien, not too shabby either, quite frankly. So this one going to be coming out video on demand and in theaters on November the 20th. That is Jiu-Jitsu. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to Al Jean, by the way, showrunner for The Simpsons, for jumping on and talking about Treehouse of Horror 31, which you can see Sunday night, 8 o'clock on Fox. It's a yearly tradition around Halloween. I cannot wait for you guys to see it. Go to downandnerdypodcast.com if you ever want more from the show. Find the trailers, any of the stories that we talked about. Maybe you want to see some of the art from DC Future State. I'll have that up there at some point as well at downandnerdypodcast.com. Also follow along on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and Instagram and at downandnerdy on Facebook. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.